I just don't do guilt. And people are like, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? You know, I feel like it's toxic. I feel like it's something that gets in our way. I would never say I don't look back. I don't believe in regrets and guilt, but I do believe in the evolution, you know, of the journey of the things that we got right and wrong. I just always gave myself room to screw it up, room to make mistakes, room to learn from those lessons along the way. And I, things went right, things went wrong. You know, I've redesigned my life a couple of times. I have a blended family. There's a lot of things I could feel guilty about. I just make a choice not to do it. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopst, and today's guest is Brooke Burke. Brooke is a television host. She's a cancer survivor, entrepreneur. She's a fitness educator, philanthropist, podcaster, and women's health advocate who has been thriving in Hollywood for decades. But the title that she holds dearest is being a mom. Brooke has held numerous successful network television jobs and high-profile brand partnerships. In 2008, Brooke became the champion of Dancing with the Stars Season 7, which she later parlayed into a co-hosting job that she would hold for eight seasons. Brooke remains one of social media's quote-unquote moms to follow with nearly 4 million dedicated followers. This conversation is about it all. We talk about divorce, we talk about healing, fitness, parenting, we get into body image, and most importantly, how to have faith when life seems hard and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Brooke Burke to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Brooke, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. And I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. And I think a good place for us to start is I heard you say in an interview that you've accomplished more as a mother than you did before a mom. And I think that might surprise some people because oftentimes when people become parents, their lives become so much more overwhelming. Their time becomes, they have so much less time. Like, why do you believe that you've had more success when you became a mom? Gosh, well, that's true. I remember saying that. I've said it many times. I have four children. I think it's a commitment, you know, that I made to do everything I wanted to do and yet still be deeply involved in my children's lives and not allowing motherhood to stop me from dreaming and accomplishing things and being motivated and taking chances and realizing all of my goals. I really do think that I, I led by example in raising my kids. I mean, a lot of people don't know, but I took my oldest daughter, Naraya, to 40 countries around the world when I was hosting Wild On. I wasn't really the quintessential party girl. I actually was pregnant for most of the show. Then I had a newborn that I wore, so I had my hands back. And we were a package deal, and we we traveled the world. And I think that surprises a lot of people. I see so many women miss that moment. Brooke, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. And I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. And I think a good place for us to start is I heard you say in an interview that you've accomplished more as a mother than you did before a mom. And I think that might surprise some people because oftentimes when people become parents, their lives become so much more overwhelming. Their time becomes, they have so much less time. Like, why do you believe that you've had more success when you became a mom? Gosh, well, that's true. I remember saying that. I've said it many times. I have four children. I think it's a commitment, you know, that I made to do everything I wanted to do and yet still be deeply involved in my children's lives and not allowing motherhood to stop me from dreaming and accomplishing things and being motivated and taking chances and realizing all of my goals. I really do think that I, I led by example in raising my kids. I mean, a lot of people don't know, but I took my oldest daughter, Naraya, to 40 countries around the world when I was hosting Wild On. I wasn't really the quintessential party girl. I actually was pregnant for most of the show. Then I had a newborn that I wore, so I had my hands back. And we were a package deal, and we, we traveled the world. And I think that surprises a lot of people. I see so many women miss that moment and miss that opportunity because they're afraid of what motherhood may bring to their life. And I, I just embraced it all and 
somehow, <laughs> somehow, I don't know. I did everything I wanted to do. I think it's really admirable that you didn't let the fact that you became a parent stop you from pursuing your dreams. And, I, and I, I've heard, I'm not a parent, but I've just heard that what can sometimes stop people is mom guilt, where mothers, you know, specifically, they become guilty. When they get guilty when they are spending time around anything else that doesn't involve their kids. Like, how did you, did you struggle with that at all? And if so, how did you navigate all of that um, amidst everything you were doing? Well, I'm glad you're asking that. I actually wrote a chapter in my first book called Not Guilty. And I sort of made guilt like more of a verb. Like, I just don't do guilt. And people are like, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? You know, I feel like it's toxic. I feel like it's something that gets in our way. I would never say I don't look back. I don't believe in regrets and guilt, but I do believe in the evolution, you know, of the journey of the things that we got right and wrong. I just always gave myself room to screw it up room to make mistakes, room to learn from those lessons along the way. And I, things went right, things went wrong. You know, I've redesigned my life a couple of times. I have a blended family. There's a lot of things I could feel guilty about. I just make a choice not to do it. And there's always going to be another mother doing it better than you. I remember launching modernmom.com way back in the day and giving that space some soul and a voice and realizing as a young mom, there was always somebody else crushing it. There was always somebody that was like the class mom and, you know, things that might not have been in my repertoire of talents. And I just gave myself room to not have to be the best at everything, but to be the best mom that I could to my children and to, to navigate that and to um, find my own way in that space. There's freedom in that. There really is. There's so much pressure when you become a mother that I think you have to figure out what works for yourself and your family and find your own way. Yeah. I think that's some that you should share some great insights and in that you really have to just continue to embrace who you are and take your power back and just not give up on your dreams and and not feel guilty for wanting more for yourself. And then at the end of the day, you're going to end up hopefully providing more for your kids. I think one of the other things that I hear can be challenging when parenting is is through chaos. And I know that you've definitely had your fair share of experiences with chaotic moments in your life, you know, stuff that was very traumatic and unfortunate between divorce and cancer and your brother recently passing away. Like, and you seem like you've done a lot of work on yourself so that you can hopefully use some of these painful moments that you've gone through as a family to share some, some really inspiring lessons with your kids. What are some of the things that you've taught your kids while going through some of these chaotic moments? Well, it's been a lot. You know, it's been quite a roller coaster ride. And I really, really believe in the learning opportunities and all the challenges of life. I mean, you mentioned chaos. I've joked around about this a lot, but dancing through the chaos, you know, not needing to manage it all, not needing to have this sort of role model perfect life. My life is messy and I'm okay with that. Managing it is really, I think, the goal. And how do you find ways to feel good on the bad days? How do you find your strength on the challenging moments in your life? How do you lead by example? How do I raise my children to know that there's going to be good times and bad times, that it's love and integrity and character that connects us as a family. It's how we deal with those challenging times. It's how we stay connected. How do I raise a family in the entertainment industry? Like there's all these things that are just so incredibly challenging. And um, I think you just grow and you, you change in those moments. I mean, you know, you mentioned cancer, like for somebody like like me to have dealt with that, living the healthy lifestyle that I do, it was like, whoa, no way. But it just, you know, you learn to be stronger in those moments, right? And you learn to take the best care of yourself possible and to find a support system, whether it's community, family, life, love, whatever it is. And to find strength in those moments is, as I think, the deepest challenge. And I think sometimes as a byproduct of traumatic experiences, some of these kids just happen to take on some of it indirectly, right? Just be, by nature of, you know, what's going on around them or, you know, what you've gone through. And sometimes that energy in many cases carries over. I mean, other than I would the, the normal stuff that people would assume that happens for kids when they're experiencing some of the stuff they've experienced, was there a time where you saw it impact them, you know, more than you expected and you kind of had to intervene to make sure that they wouldn't go down a, a dark path? For sure. I mean, I have four children. They're all so different. You know, they say we're as happy as our most unhappy child. That's so true as a mother. What works for one completely fails with the other. That's sort of the story of life of raising a family. You know, we talk a lot and we talk a lot to make sure that we're communicating 
sometimes it's like an open-ended question that I'll throw at my kids. If I were to say to my kids, how's your day? I'm going to get nothing. I'm going to get like crickets. It was fine. Or they're like in their device. You know what I mean? So I kind of manipulate the conversation a little bit to check in with my kids. Like for example, I'll say, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? Anything weird happened today? And then they'll be like, yeah, as a matter of fact, mom, oh, this horrible thing happened. And then it starts this dialogue. Or I used to lay in bed with them at night during our nighttime routine and say, is there anything we need to talk about? And it's like a check-in. Like when you ask a child that, they're like, oh my God, nobody asked me that as a child. I don't know about you, but I don't know if our parents raised us in that space of like freedom, you know, psychological freedom. So we really talk a lot and that promotes dialogue. And I check in with them too. Like, not just how are you? Sometimes I'll say things like, how's your heart? Such a weird question. I remember asking my fiance that he's like, what? What do you mean? How's my heart? I'm like, I'm checking in because I care. Like, not just how are you? How's your heart? How do you feel inside? It's a very weird question for some people. And I just go deep in that space. That's how I get that's why I stay connected. And I think that's really important. Yeah, because to somebody who maybe doesn't do a lot of personal development work, when you're asking them how your heart is, you're like, well, I think my cholesterol is good. I think I, my, my pulse is like, eh, it's like 75 right now, you know? Or you ask somebody, how are you doing? They're like, I'm fine. Why? I'm like, because I care. <laughs> because I'm checking in. I'm always checking in. I'm checking in with myself as much as I'm checking in with my children. And, you know, you mentioned personal development. You know, I've built this business right now about well and being, well being, whatever you want to call it, mindfulness, spirituality, fitness. Fitness is like just a shallow part of everything that I do. So I think that personal check in is invaluable. It's so important. Hard to do, but so important. Yeah, and in the midst of adversity and chaos, it's really challenging because you're you're just so overstimulated, you're overwhelmed, you're filled with fear, grief, sadness, whatever it is you're going through. And like you've said, you've kind of been able to dance through chaos throughout your life and you've gone through so much. And a lot of times, just one of the situations that you've gone through, people would have gone off the deep end and gotten involved heavily with something like drugs, alcohol, or something else that would have made their life significantly worse like what is your recipe when something hard happens obviously it's still going to be hard but what are some of the things you do in the midst of that that allow you to use it as an opportunity for growth i breathe a lot i mean not daily breath i'm actually a certified breath work coach influencer guide whatever you want to call it breath work has been a real game changer for me and it's not just a physical activity it's a moment to find some stillness to go inward to slow down to really listen it's those moments that i think are really guiding and really shifting i give myself grace you know i'm really compassionate with myself i'm also you know, in my 50s. So I understand that language a little bit better than I did in my 40s, certainly in my 30s. I mean, in my 20s, I wasn't even fully awake. But it's it, th these are moments to listen, to give yourself a break, to give yourself some grace, and to really just continue to stay connected and to be okay on days where it's just not so good. You know, and I, I, I teach my children that a lot too, that sometimes we don't know what's wrong. Sometimes it's okay to not know what's going on and to be down and out. I've been through a lot of different challenges in my life. So I know how to shift that energy, right? I know how to find that feel, but I know how to create energy. And I know how to, I know how to survive the hard stuff because what choice do I have? Being a mom kind of helps you do that too. What am I going to do, right? Get into my bed and not, not show up in the morning? No, we have to keep going. You're like, mom, breakfast. And you're like, what? I just want to sleep. <laughs> Mommy needs a day off. Yeah, no, we don't get that. I'm sick. Well, I still need to get to school, mom, you know? <laughs> yeah. And diving a little bit deeper into your story and, and some of the heartbreak and trauma that you've endured, I want to talk about, talk about divorce because there's people that listen to this, a lot of people that are struggling with heartbreak that they've either gone through a bad breakup, they've gotten divorced, they've been single for a while, they just don't think they can find love. Like well, your relationship with divorce, like how different was like your second divorce compared to your first divorce? Because I feel like a lot of people after the first one, they're like, this is it. Like I'm getting married again and that's it. Walk the audience through that. that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we right. say, well, I said that after the second time and now I'm engaged, right? And I've met the most wonderful human being. Both divorces were very different. Both men were very different. You usually do that, right? You realize somebody's not your 
partner and then you go the extreme opposite and they're probably not right for you either right but isn't that like human nature you find the absolute opposite it might be smarter to kind of find someone in the middle but it's also self-discovery I mean I didn't know who I was the first time around and I knew I wanted to be a mother and I have no regrets I'm so grateful for that first marriage even though it was completely the wrong person for me and my second marriage who is now one of my best friends you know David and I have a beautiful relationship we've also known each other since we were in our 20s and we have two amazing children so all of that was absolutely necessary for both of our lives but in the second divorce I really we, we both committed to taking the high road for the sake of our children and loving each other through it and that's easier said than done for a lot of people I'm really proud that we were able to do that and not to say it wasn't deeply painful I've just come to guide a lot of people through this transformation. I do a lot of work with women. So in hindsight, where I am today, I understand who I wasn't, what I did wrong, what I could have done better, and all of the necessary parts of that that have brought me to where I am. Like I bring a much more well-rounded woman to the table now in my current relationship because of what I went through. But it's just choices. You know, I watch a lot of people go through really ugly, really volatile divorces, custody battles, the rebuilding of a life. And I see children suffer. My children suffered as well. It's just part of it. But how do we make it better? Right. And how do we how do we elevate that with honesty and compassion and integrity? And how do we make the most of a really shitty situation, if you will? I mean, that's, there's no other way to say, to say it. Divorce is really hard. It's awful. Nobody wants it, right? So how do you make the most of it? And then how do you feel, feel proud of the choices that you make? We can't be responsible for other people in that journey. So there's a lot of, I think, acceptance that needs to happen and a lot of power that we have to take back in our, in our role. Everybody wants to blame everybody. <laughs> I like to bring it all back to center. What can I do to make the most of this, right? What was my part in this? What do I need to learn from this? And those are the messages that I think help carry us through a, a higher place right on the other side of it. Yeah, it's beautifully said. And I think that's a really, it's a really healthy spot you're in when you can take full responsibility, acceptance, accountability, and say, okay, like how can we take the high road together throughout this treacherous process to make sure that we're doing the best for our kids? Right. And I think divorce in itself is hard. I think what's also hard, it's seen in by a lot of people as failure, right? I mean, I don't know how else to say it, right? Is that divorce is seen as a big failure in people's lives. And it's so hard, like you said, and you had to go through it like twice. And I know the second time you said it was like a more of a peaceful with your ex-husband, but like, where were you at personally? Like, as far as like, where was Brooke at as far as how she was feeling about herself, about like, if she was ever going to find love again after that second divorce? And how did you rebuild yourself to gain some faith in yourself, to gain some hope so that you can learn how to love somebody else again? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Organifi. As you know, Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers that contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Recently, I have been loving the refreshing taste of the new Organifi green juice, Crisp Apple. That's right, Crisp Apple. It comes with all the benefits you've come to love in the classic green juice with a new juicy twist. Enjoy the same fan-favorite nourishing ingredients such as ashwagandha, moringa, spirulina, and chlorella, designed to hydrate, energize, and support cortisol balance. The new green juice, Crisp Apple, is made with organic, wholesome, hand-picked apples. It tastes like a fresh, juicy slice in every sip, making it the first of its kind the whole family will absolutely love. It's only available for a limited time, so make sure to stock up now and take advantage of this nourishing green juice that tastes absolutely divine. So go to www.organifi.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. So much to talk about. You've asked a lot of amazing questions. I want to start with failure because people are so afraid of this word failure. I bring it up a lot actually in my wellness business and in classes that I teach. People are afraid to fail. I actually encourage people to fail. And failure has this really weird like connotation to it. Like it's okay to fail because in failure you learn, right? If we were doing everything right and everything was amazing, 
how deep would we really be as a society, right? But I do agree with you that the word failure is connected to divorce. And my freeing moment, my sort of surrender was when I realized I had to give myself grace and I had to change my dialogue. I had to retrain my brain and the failure concept and realize that my divorce was a very necessary need for change. So as soon as I stopped telling myself that I failed... I told myself that for a while. It's very normal. I had to really shift into that I really needed change and I was really teaching my children about change and it's not ideal, but I had to shift that, right? So I had to choose a new word for that. So that was a really important shift for me in a learning moment and a surrender. And you also asked about who I was at that time and where I was in my life. During my first divorce, I was coming to the end of a lot of different television deals. So all my contracts were finishing. So it was a really freaking scary time. I had two children. I was entering into a divorce and I had no idea where the entertainment business was going to take me. So it wasn't like I was sitting pretty and going, I'm going to get through this, but I'm good. I was like, holy shit, what the hell am I going to do now? And that was a really, really scary time. And it was a very powerful time for me to lean into faith and to find my faith and to believe, not know, right? That's what faith is, but to believe that everything was going to be okay, to believe that I was going to figure it out. And I've always been a woman of faith in my spiritual practices, in my life, even in love, even though it didn't work out every time, I still believed that I would love again. So segueing to where I was most recently in my life, I said I would never get married again. I said never. I used the word never, ever. I would have said never. And that was not part of my plan. I wasn't looking for that forever love. I was looking to raise my children and I was looking to fall in love with myself again. And I was looking to sort of design a really healthy and stable place for my family, for my children, for my priorities, which are and only are my four children. So then when love comes knocking on the door and surprises you, I was like, whoa, (laughs) people squash that, right? People don't really open up and give that an opportunity. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I was really open and willing to loving so deeply and completely that I could have had my heart broken again. And that is scary. But that was my commitment. I was like, I'm I'm only going to do it completely. Scary. I kind of like to do scary things. I do it in my business. I do it in live television. I do it in life and in love. And I wouldn't do it any other way. So I would encourage everybody with a broken heart, everyone living in fear, everyone starting over, take time. I spent a lot of time by myself. It was the hardest time of my life. But take time to get to that place where you're just really willing to do scary things. And I I kind of like to live in that space. It's not for everyone, but I would encourage everyone to do that. I definitely think it's important to take some time, practice the pause when you're getting out of a relationship to do some do some inner work and figure out like what went wrong, what went right, like why you attracted a certain person or why you stayed in a certain relationship and maybe take some additional time to unlearn some unhealthy patterns like throughout this process throughout your relationship journey getting to where you're at now where now you say you've met the person that is the most amazing human you've ever met and is like the perfect person for you were there any like unhealthy patterns that you've had to learn in the last few years to get yourself to where you are today I would say more than a few years and yes I think I like what you said about unlearning patterns I had to learn like how to be alone before I could give myself to someone again. And that was so hard because I'd never been alone. I was married for 19 years and I have four children. So when I say I was never alone, I mean like I had a child or two in bed with me. I traveled the world. I had Mariah on the road with me, my oldest. When you're married, building a life and raising a family, you're really never alone as a woman. You're not alone in your bed. You're not alone in the morning. It's such an amazing concept to me. So when I divorced in my 40s, I was like, oh my God, what an amazing opportunity for me to learn about myself alone. And it was really, really, really hard. And it was amazing. And it was eye-opening and the most insightful opportunity of my lifetime. Self-realization is work. People think, some people it comes naturally for, you know, I was probably a very dependent woman as a younger woman, but I had to really work on that before I could allow myself to share my life with someone again. And now I love my alone time. I love my alone time. I love my time with my children. I love my time with my man. I love our family time. I love our blended family time. But there's all these different areas of who I am. You know, when you said something about the pause, I really feel like finding space 
living in that space. There's so much room for growth in space. It's that pause. It's that space to not react. It's that space to listen rather than talk. It's that space to just be, that space to be alone, even if it's lonely. It's learning how to not be lonely being alone. Do you know what I mean? So I spent a, time, a lot of time working on that and a lot of time really enjoying different spaces. Yeah, one of the things that I often will say is that it's you feel way more alone spending time with the wrong people than you ever will like being intentional by yourself. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like spending time alone is hard sometimes because it's just like you versus you and your thoughts and you got your emotions and you got your, everything is like right there. And you seem like somebody who's, when you spend time alone, I think it's probably somewhat fairly constructive because you're into mindfulness, breath work, spirituality, and sometimes that can be uncomfortable. What were some of the most uncomfortable thoughts and feelings you had to deal with during, after your second divorce and leading up into this new relationship? And how did you deal with them? God, it's so, it's such a big conversation. I, I love this so much because, you know, being lonely when you're with someone is a horrible place to be in. It's so freaking hard. The hardest time of my life was learning how to be alone and wanting to date. And it was really hard to date. Like I wanted to date. I had never had that opportunity because I, I was a quintessential like relationship person. So I was always in a relationship. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. And it was like crickets. And I don't mean, oh, poor me. But like, seriously, I wasn't on an app. Nothing against apps. It just wasn't my jam. So I wasn't on an app. I was living in LA. I was alone. And I wanted to date. And it wasn't happening. So that was hard where I was like, Oh my God, like I have four kids. Is this is what the next chapter looks like? And I wasn't like desperately seeking a new love of my life, but I thought, wow, how long is this alone thing <laughs> going to last for me? But like you said, learning how to value that time and to make it productive. And, it, it, and I felt, how should I say it? I felt really lucky to work in the space of transformation and self-care and mindfulness and in doing that and in working with other women was a profound opportunity for me to learn about myself. So doing the work, the type of work that I give, I get so much from. And that's a blessing. That's a real blessing for me. Yeah. The next thing I want to talk to you about is the evolution of your relationship with your body. Because, I mean, there's there's been a lot of eyes on you for your body. I mean, your body has been at the center of your business for the for years, right? And so what I would like to know is when you got started, when you got into to modeling and what you were doing when you first started, what was your relationship like with your body then versus now? Like, how has that changed? Okay. So what was the relationship like with my body? I don't think I had a relationship with my body in my twenties, to be honest, that's part of the mind fuck. Like that's part of the challenge of it all. I totally didn't have a relationship with my own body. I was in the business. I was figuring out how to train my body, how to be fit enough to work in the business, dealing with the pressures of society, then being in the modeling business, the entertainment business and the sex symbol, which is such a weird word to talk about myself. That sounds weird, but there's no other way to really have the conversation. Where do I put that? What does that mean for me as a woman? And how do I deal with the objectification of the business as a woman? And I don't think I quite understood it, but I knew how to make it work for me as a woman. Then I became a mother. Then I didn't know how much my body would change. Then I needed to dig deeper. Then I needed to find purpose. Then I needed to find all these other things that mattered more than the body. Like it was a whole journey, a whole long journey. I had this conversation with a girlfriend the other day because I was listening to a deep conversation about the objectification of women. And I thought, I didn't feel that way. And they're like, what do you mean you didn't feel that way? You were in the business. What do you mean? And I just thought, I really didn't feel that way. And I think it was because I had self-confidence as a woman and I had confidence in ways that went far beyond the body. And I'm raising four children, three daughters. What are the words that I use? How do I teach them about self-confidence? How do I give them an opportunity to go far deeper than just the surface. It's really important to me. And I work with so many women where I have to guide them and encourage them to find their self-confidence and to find their self-love that is not limited to just the body. So I, I'm so deep in that space. I feel like I'm rambling because it's such a hard, hard conversation to have with you. But having a relationship with yourself that's loving and kind is the most important relationship to have. Falling in love with yourself, not in a narcissistic way, is the most 
important relationship that you can have. Meeting yourself with self-love and loving kindness is so important. Creating boundaries for yourself. Having deal breakers for yourself and other people and the way that you treat yourself and meet yourself in relationships, so important. I'm actually working on a body of work right now that's a soul contract. And we enter into all these contracts in life, right? Business, marriage, relationships, business engagements, but we don't treat ourselves and our relationship with ourselves as, as I think valuable as we do in all these other areas. So creating a soul contract with boundaries and deal breakers, deal breakers and performance clauses and review boards, like all of these things I apply to my own commitment to self. And it's a much longer conversation, but I think it's super important. We just don't know that as young people. No one talks to us about that, right? Yeah. And thanks for opening up and being vulnerable. I mean, I guess, and the reason I ask is just from personal experience. I remember, you know, I was like a overweight kid growing up and I was like, once I get to a certain body fat percentage level and I get super fit and I date these girls and I get attention, I'm going to be happy. And then you realize like, you're just not like, it just doesn't work that way. And so for you, what I was like, you know, a lot of my audience is, is women and like, you know, some, a lot of times people think once they look a certain way, they'll be happy forever. And so I kind of was just, I wanted to dive into like, what was your relationship? Like even with like external validation, like how, as you've gotten older and matured, has the need for external validation become more mitigated? Yes. Being in the business gives it a whole nother level, but, but yes, because you're either going to fight the system, try to turn back time, reconstruct your whole being artificially, you know, and wake up one morning, okay, who am I? And how do I feel beautiful in the wee hours of the morning in my sweats and my t-shirt? Like, how do I feel inside? What does beauty exude for me? What does it mean for me? Like, how do we define beauty, right? In a time where it's such a weird, like, unrealistic navigation right now, you know, especially in my business. So what does beauty mean to me? What does self-confidence mean to me? And how do I look in the mirror with all the flaws with my changing body, with wrinkles, with all these other things. And how do I find self-acceptance? I think that's the deepest challenge. It's like men with success and money. Do you think that's going to make you happy and make you more powerful and get you everything you want? Like, is that a real thing? That's a real thing for a lot of people. I had that conversation. It was actually a joke. I was at a dinner table with my fiance on the other night. He's like, well, it's kind of true. And I'm like, it's kind of true, but is it really deep enough? And what does it really mean? And it isn't about status. It's about self-confidence, I think, right? So I think it's really, really hard and really, really important for women to find ways to love themselves through all the change and to give themselves a break. I wrote a blog and a body of work that I incorporate into some exercises that I do with women. And it's a blog called Dear Self. And it's very emotional for a lot of people because it's about, you know, dear self, like I've been neglecting you. I've been too critical on you. I haven't been meeting you with love and honor. You know, all I do is look at all the negative things about you, but nobody else really sees you that way. It's this beautiful monologue about loving yourself a little bit more and listening to yourself a little bit more and caring for yourself a little bit more and all these ways that don't even come natural. Like people think self-love is a natural thing. They think self-care is a natural thing. It's not. It's a daily practice and it's really hard. And I don't think any of this comes natural. I don't know that I had that dialogue with my mom growing up and she was a very loving feminine woman, but nobody was really talking to us about that kind of stuff, right? So it's, it's work. Self-care is work. And we're worth it. And I really like that message. I'm really hard on some of my clients and women that I work with. I'm like, we're worth it. You're worthy. And you got to do the work. You got to meet yourself with love. You got to lean on yourself for all of that, not someone else. Because no one really defines us but ourselves, right? Nobody knows what we need. Nobody knows yourself better as a woman than yourself. So I work a lot in that area. And it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard because it's a double-edged sword, right? Like with the success and money, it's like you need money to live. Like you got to have some success to feel like you're like have some meaning in the world or, you know, that you're on the right path with your business or whatever. But you can't, if it becomes the end-all be-all, that could become a very slippery slope, right? The same thing with health, right? Like I think it's important to take care of your health and to be healthy, right? That, that, that I think is important. But if you make that the end-all be-all, that can be a very slippery slope. So it's like, how do you find that balance. Like, I think that's the ultimate like thing, right? That most people are trying to figure out. 
I think so. I mean, some people are afraid to start something new. They're afraid to change their lifestyle. They're afraid to begin. And I always say, I don't really candy coat a lot of things, but I always say, be afraid of the other side of it. Like be afraid of not caring for yourself. Be afraid of not trying something new. Be afraid of not having a healthy lifestyle. Like if you don't have your health and wellness, like what do you have? Right. And when we think about like a life of longevity and a lifestyle and, you know, I want to be here for a long time for my family. It's not just about fitness for me. It's this big picture. It's really a lifestyle that I designed for energy, for longevity, so I can care for my kids, so I can be well enough to enjoy all of the beautiful things, all of these beautiful opportunities. I say that a lot, you know, at BB Body and in the fitness app space. I say like, I'm giving everybody possibilities, lots of possibilities. And then you have to make choices. We have to take control of that and take charge of that in our life. How are we choosing to live? How are we treating our body? What are we putting into our body? How are we creating longevity, right? It's a big concept right now. Yeah. How are we creating longevity? And then how are we building ourselves up to have a level of confidence to believe that we can do that? Like, what is the process that you use either for yourself or with some of the women that you coach to help them become more confident with themselves? I've been doing a, a new thing lately, and I call it mantra movement, movement mantras. And it's really quite simple and really powerful. So I'm using mantras, concepts, words, simple things like, I am worthy, I am beautiful, I am powerful, I am strong, I deserve this time, I accept this challenge, simple one-liners. And I marry them with movement mindful movement. So for example, we're doing like planks. So I have my classes, I have women like chanting, whether it's mantra movements, moments of gratitude, all of these things that retrain our brain. And what happens is it takes you out of the headspace and into the, oh my God, I can't do this in the fitness world to believing these beautiful mantras. And I think mantras are really shifting. So I teach people how to create self-confidence, how to develop power, how to change their mindset through movement and mantras. And it's really working. And then I teach people also how to marry mind-body wellness, mind-body fitness, mind-body spirit, mind-body nutrition, how to take these three concepts and string them together to create a lifestyle that's sustainable. And I think that's what it's really about for our children, for sure, for our families to accomplish our goals. So it's a lifestyle. Otherwise, it's a big fad. You're going to do it for a moment, right? And then you're going to fail. And then you're going to feel like crap. So I like to create a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then like as far as your own personal like health routine, I think, you know, people, they always worry when they get older, how do they take care of themselves? Like, how do they deal with their health? Like, this doesn't fit like it once did, or I have a wrinkle here or there, like you kind of touched on this a little bit. Like, what are some of your best practices daily to make sure that you're staying healthy? Well, everything's changing. Everything's going to change. So let's just surrender to that. <laughs> and then you find your ways that feel good. You know, that's why I started BB Body. So I could design a lifestyle and teach people how to get it done, be stronger than their excuses, connect with the community, find really affordable content, do it at home in the privacy of their own home. And that has been a great joy to connect with women. And the collab that we just started this year with Longevity, which is a superfood blend, this is the first collab that I did with BB Body. And I'm so proud of it because it's a moment and an opportunity to fuel our body. And, you know, Longevity is not a protein powder. It, it literally is a super superfood blend that's full of everything that we need. Mindful ingredients like stuff that I used to line up and put in my shake. That was a whole lot of expensive stuff, by the way. Now I can put two scoops of the superfood blend and get what I need for anti-inflammation, for recovery, for focus, for energy, sustainable energy, like herba mate, matcha, maca, all of these things, cacao, all of these things that really fuel the body. I give it to my kids. Like I can make breakfast now in three minutes, probably less than three minutes, triple the recipe in the blender, line up my shakes, I put them in these, put them to go. I blend it up. Like this one's my favorite right now. This is cacao. It's amazing. It's literally a bag of like a recipe for life, right? I put two scoops and shakes. You can cook with it. You can bake with it. So it's these little things that you discover along the way. So you can design a healthy lifestyle that makes you feel good. And if you don't have energy, 
you're going to run low. You're not going to feel good. You're not going to be able to accomplish all those things. If you don't care for your body, what does the next decade look like? So we're just simplifying wellness. And that's the concept and the motto. It's about, you know, we use this word harmony a lot. Like what does harmony really mean? I think it's marrying all those things, wellness, fitness, mindfulness, nutrition, all of these things that allow you to get what you need so that we can do what we love doing. It's really that simple. I mean, I think in many cases, simpler the better, right? When it comes to your health, just make sure you're able to master the fundamentals. I want to talk about parenting because I think I hear a lot from parents that they have a hard time trying to figure out either having to have how to have conversations with their kids about health, how to you know get them to eat healthy foods because it's like this risk you take where either they won't listen to you or maybe you like you know you create like a weird relationship sometimes with them and food. What are some of the things that you do as a parent to, to help your kids kind of, in a way, like model the healthy lifestyle that, that you're looking to? It's so tricky. So true what you said, having this weird relationship with food that can be quite dangerous. You know, I'm raising three daughters. I'm in the business and I'm in the fitness business. So, you know, I don't want to put pressure on them in any of those ways, but I want to introduce them to healthy things. I want them to be mindful, but we have to choose our words so carefully right now, you know, when, when it comes to society and pressure and eating disorder and this weird freaking relationship that we have with food. I try to stock my home with mindful things, and yet I have children and kids with friends and the snack drawer and the easy things and the frozen foods and the decadent things. So... I have a little bit of everything at home and I love to cook. I feel like the nucleus of my family happens in my kitchen. I love to shop with my kids. I love to teach them about mindful whole foods that are yummy. And then we break the rules too. So it's not about like being perfect all the time. I know when I make my shake in the morning, it's delicious. I would rather have that than waffles and syrup. My body likes it. My body craves that. I know how to do an afternoon pick me up that's super easy and mindful. I think it's about guiding and teaching and then also giving them choices and teaching them how to be a detective of their own body and understand what makes them feel good, understand what helps them sleep, understand what gives them energy, whether it's for sports or studying or all of those things, and then letting them cheat a little bit and get what they need. If I took everything away from my kids, they'd want everything bad. If I gave them everything bad, they wouldn't know what's good. So I have to be a role model, but I also have to be a fun mom sometimes and I have to let them break the rules and then I have to teach them how to grow up and prepare mindful meals for themselves and their family. We spend so much time in the kitchen and I'm really proud of my kids for being able to mix that up and fuel their body in a mindful way, right? And it's a process. It's a journey. It's not easy. I have to lead by example and then I have to give them wiggle room to be who they're supposed to be, right? Not who, who I think they should be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to double down on this because I think it's an important and I want to talk about like letting go in uncertainty because I think a lot of parents who live a healthy lifestyle, they try to coach their kids on eating healthy and the kids don't listen to them. And they're like, I'm just trying to help you. Like, I don't want you to get like diabetes or I don't want you to have a heart attack. I don't want you to have this or that. Like, I'm just like, why won't you listen to me? When in fact, like a lot of times that can become unhealthy because you're putting so much pressure on your kids. Like, how have you been able that somebody that you like health is your business, you're in the business, like, how have you been able to let go when it comes to parenting your kids? It's so hard. You know, when it comes to food and nutrition, I used to be that mom that was like, you got to eat. Well, we're not hungry before school. Well, then we're not going to school. Well, you're not eating. <laughs> I'm not driving you until you get something to eat. What about your lunch? Did you grab this? I used to be so on my kids and I used to be that person that never skipped breakfast, never worked out without a breakfast meal. Now I intermittent fast. So they're like, okay, mom, you used to say X, Y, and Z, and now you're intermittent fasting. I really had to learn how to train my own body and how to fuel my own body. But there is a sense of responsibility for us as parents, especially in the nutritional system and the school system of knowing what's available. I had to figure out for my children how to manipulate them a little bit, how to fuel them so that they can study and focus. And I didn't want to pick up like hangry kids. There's nothing worse than a hangry mom or hangry kids when they're getting in the car and they're starved and they haven't made great choices. I don't want to be in the car <laughs> with any of those kids. So I used to have like the snack drawer. That was their go and grab. That was 
a little bit more of a cheat drawer as long as they picked a piece of fruit or picked something else. And then I would prepare food and prepare like um, meal prep at the beginning of the week. But now one of my daughters doesn't like to eat in the morning. She'd be happy to not eat at all all day long. So now I make her a shake and I bring it to go and I put it in here and I put it in the car and I know she's going to drink it. And then I know she's got every single thing she needs throughout the day. And if she doesn't feel like eating, I'm fine with that. At a certain point, they become their own little people at a certain age. We're really not in control of it. So I try to keep it yummy and mindful at home. And then I try to give them tips and tricks along the way. And then I got to kind of back up. But look, I mean, you can't force the food thing on kids. You can't. And if you do, it's a little bit dangerous. You can trick them into trying new things. And then leave them alone and see what happens, right? But in my car, there's food and there's a shake and there's a couple snacks and they know it's there. We all do a shake in the morning because they're really yummy. I finally found something that was really enjoyable and that's sort of the power of longevity. And kids won't eat things that don't taste good. Mine won't anyway, unless you really starve their palate, right? And only introduce like earthy things. That's not happening in my house. I don't want to eat things that don't taste good, right? Yeah. And it's like you said, it's this healthy balance of trying to educate and empower your kids to do the right thing when it comes to nutrition choices. But also you don't want to be in a position where you're putting so much pressure on them that that ends up like hurting your relationship and then hurting their relationship. And hurting their relationship with food and their own body. I and mean, it's, it's very tricky. I'm usually that mom that shows up to school with food for them. And they're grateful for that because think about how busy we are as adults and how time gets away and we haven't had a meal and we're not thinking right and we're not functioning fully. We're not really fueling our body. I can't accomplish and do what I do in my life unless I really understand how to fuel my body. And also the emotional highs and lows and peaks that we go through. Imagine what a child goes through when they're not even fully awake, meaning in their development, not physically. And the crash and burn and in the emotional roller coasters. I know sometimes now it's not just hormones and raising young women it's also fuel and nutrition so i'll manipulate that all day long just to first just to survive the grind of raising a family yeah and speaking of fitness and nutrition and like like you said you're you're in the business it's a big part of your life how do you deal with like comparison because there's different fitness apps popping up left and right there's different influencers left and right like all over social media what's your relationship like with comparison I try not to compare myself to other people. I certainly don't raise my kids that way, but it's also finding confidence and believing in what I do. I'm always looking around at what's out there because I would be naive not to. I actually learn from other people and I'm that woman that celebrates other people. So competition is a funny thing. I like to help people. I like to collaborate with people and I like to partner up. I really feel like we raise our average and we elevate each other. If you're that woman or man, I think that's super duper duper important. And I like to study what other people are doing to better understand the business. I kind of welcome it all. I also welcome constructive criticism, right? This competition thing doesn't really serve any of us. So I like to know what's out there in my wellness space and business space and what other people are doing, but I'm still married to my philosophy. It evolves, but it mostly evolves within the community at BB Body. It's the same way with, with the longevity community. We share recipes. What's delicious? What are you finding? What, what tastes work? What doesn't? What flavors are you introducing? Can we experiment with the holidays? I love the smell of the holidays. I love nutmeg and cinnamon and all these delicious things. And I like to introduce that. And then I, I pitch, I swap recipes with other women. It's a collaboration. I want to collaborate. I don't want to compete. I want to collaborate. I think that really elevates my brand and, you know, my journey in the business and wellness. I think that's important. And I think comparison, frankly, can be very healthy, right? I think you're able to, if you have the self-confidence, like you said, to know that you got to run your own race, you got to stick true to what you want to do. And then like looking at what other people are doing and learning from them and then supporting them and celebrating them. And maybe you get an idea or whatever. I mean, I think that's very healthy. I think where it becomes unhealthy is where you don't have self-worth, you don't have self-confidence, and you're, you're blaming everything that goes wrong in your life on other people, or you're just... I think so. Right? I think it's nice to be inspired by other people. If I need beauty inspiration or glam inspiration or fitness inspiration, yeah, I'm going to troll the web a little bit and see what's going on out there. But maybe it sparks an idea. And I love that. And I also don't think anybody's reinventing anything. You know, I really think that we're just redesigning things. And I think there's value in accepting that and collaborating with people.
I mean, I think that the more we can be in this together, the more we'll be able to help other people. You know, I think the more that we're just focusing on how I can be better than that person. And I don't want to talk to that person if they're in the same business. I just think at the end of the day, we're not going to be helping anybody, right? Some of my best business relationships too were me reaching out to other women that I think are badass women in their space and reaching out and saying, hey, I love what you're doing. You want to do something together? And I love that. We raise our average, right? We were just talking about that this morning. I think we're better when we're together. That collective energy is really powerful. Unless you're an insecure person and you don't know how to collaborate, then you're just going to remain the same. Collaborative energy is so powerful. And Brooke, you're a powerful woman as well. And I think this conversation is going to help a lot of people. And I think before I let you go, like, what do you have going on right now? What's coming that you're most excited about? Oh, what's coming? I feel like this year went by like that. Like this year is gone. I can't believe the holidays are already here. I'm really excited about the longevity collab because we're introducing new flavors. It's growing in community and it's an amazing opportunity to really connect with women all over the world. I love what I'm doing in the Brookbrook body space. It's the way that I stay involved and I interact with women everywhere. I'm doing Zoom classes on Fridays. I have women in Italy. I have women from all over the world coming into my home digitally. It's so much fun. And then within that connection, they're developing relationships amongst themselves to support one another. And it's amazing for me to watch that inner circle and watch that community and how they share. They share links, they share products, they share must-haves, they support one another, they share the good and the bad in the journey. And that's what fitness and wellness is about. It's not even fitness anymore. It's this big picture of well-being. And I think we inspire one another and in supporting one another, we grow, we learn, we find freedom in the fail. It goes back to how we began this conversation, which is so important. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to reach out to other people. Don't be afraid to connect. And I invite everyone to come and find me in that space as well. Don't be afraid to go join a Zoom class and come over to my house. You can turn your camera off if you don't want anyone to see you, but leave it on so that we can connect. And it's an amazing time, I think, to really dive into that collective energy. We didn't have that, right? We didn't have that 10 years ago. We didn't have that when I first became a mother. You were like on your own. (laughs) Now you can connect with anyone about anything that's going right or wrong and learn a little along the way. Yeah, it's crazy how far we've come from a technological space and how that's impacted the health and wellness space and how so many people are able to have an opportunity to get fit in a way that they didn't have before. And now, like you said, you've been able to create a community where people can come together, like-minded people who are looking to better themselves from a wellness perspective. And Brooke, this has been awesome. I appreciate your vulnerability. I loved our conversation and I was, I'm very thankful that you opened up as much as you did. If people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about your fitness program, longevity, they want to follow you on social media, where's the best place for them to do that? Thank you, Doug. I really appreciate this conversation too. I I love deep talks, right? And we we don't want to do anything casual anymore. I'm super easy to find. It's just Brooke Burke and also Brooke Burke Body and Longevity at Brooke Burke Body. They're all connected. And you can go to my website too. And that's sort of a porthole to all the other things that we're doing to sign up for in-person experiences, classes, to get a discount for Longevity. You can actually get a free subscription to Brooke Burke Body once you subscribe to Longevity. That's how passionate I am about the wellness space. I want everyone to figure out how to feel good. So all of that stuff is connected. Probably brookbrook.com is the best place. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Brooke said about how she healed from divorce and has used that to her advantage to be in the relationship that she's in today. Maybe it was something that she said about how she survived loss. Maybe it was something she said about self-confidence, parenting, fitness, whatever it was, make sure to share your takeaway, tag Brooke, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. Yeah. And then I can join in the conversation as well. If they tag us, people don't realize how easy that is right now to start a conversation. And I love that. So please find me, reach out to me. Let's chat. Let's get social. Thank you for that, Doug. That's really cool. And then we'll stay connected as well. I'd love to get to know your audience. Yes, we'll stay connected and make sure to tag Brooke and I. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopst. We'll see you next time.